When I in awesome wonder Consider all The worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great thou art Then sings my soul Then sings my my soul My Savior God to thee How great thou art How great thou art Whoa, you're doing what I do. See, I told you guys. I told you guys, man. You just, uh, you were just a little preoccupied, that's all. Happens to the best of us, man. It's never happened to me, but I'm just kidding. It happens on the regular to me. Let's get this stuff here. Thank you, sir. You guys doing all right? I tell you, it's good to see you all this morning uh, on this beautiful, well, it's Palm Sunday, isn't it? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, they, we sing that song. In reality, it's about a very specific day. It's not about any day. It's about this day, the day that the Lord would, according to Daniel chapter 9, reveal himself, 69 seven-year periods until the Messiah, the Prince, from the going forth and the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. And on that day, Messiah would enter into Jerusalem, as the prophet said, riding on a donkey's colt, and they would take palm branches in their coats, and they would lay them down, and they would shout, Hosanna, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, that would happen on this day, and then, of course, this week, all kinds of things. By this time next Sunday, the Lord will have uh, entered into the temple, overthrown the money changers' tables, been taken, tried, crucified, and risen again. Amen? And uh, so we'll talk about that next week. Today we're just going to carry on where we were. But I wanted to mention good old Palm Sunday because it's a wonderful uh, time to celebrate. Every day is a day to celebrate if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because you walk in the power of the resurrection. And uh, God loves you, and He wants to encourage and bless you and strengthen you, build you up. And we want to give a Bible to you to make sure you can follow along with us before I just completely go a different direction than we intended today. Uh, so if you need a Bible, let's go ahead and uh, raise your hand. We'll get one put in there. Thank you for joining us today. I tell you, I was telling the staff earlier today, it feels like it's been a long time since I've been with you. It just missed one Sunday. 
And I trust that you were blessed by uh, uh, Pastor David being here and sharing his testimony and uh, love uh, seeing what God's doing in people's lives and, and how he's... Uh, we need a Bible here? Uh, right over right here, Joe? Oh, you got one? Okay, cool. And, uh, you know, and so... It, uh, but the thing is, is I was doing a service in Lake Ozark last Saturday, and then, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Tom, my good friend in Springfield, had a heart attack. It's his fourth heart attack. And uh, so they called me late last week to see if I would come and share. And of course, of course, I said, Tom, you've got me over a barrel. Because, I mean, what am I going to say? No, and then you share and die? I'm not going to, well, I, you know, Jeff, Jeff wouldn't do it, and then I died. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, yes, of course I'll come and share it for you. And, uh, and it was great. Their body up there is, is incredibly loving and encouraging. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, this weekend, we went down to Branson to share and, and just minister at the women's retreat, some worship. And God is doing incredible things down there. I tell you, Debbie Bryson, she is an incredible Bible teacher. And, uh, and so, anyway, I've just been here, there, a little bit of everywhere. I've said I feel like I'm on tour, you know, coming to a city near you. Uh, but it's just been a week. And, uh, but it's good to be here. And it's good to see my heart's always here with you guys. So... Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 John. We're just kind of, guys, we're carrying, we're rounding third. We're headed for home. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to look at five verses today. And, uh, you know, the thing is, I uh, originally thought I would take 1 John because, you know, we're, we've been in the book of Isaiah. I mean, like some of you may or may not remember that. It's been a fat minute since we've been there. And, we're in the 20-something chapter, and, uh, but there's like 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. So I thought, you know what? Let's go ahead and cleanse our, our palate just a little bit. Let's step back in the news. I'll just take a short, just a brief book in the New Testament and uh, go through it and maybe spend six or eight weeks teaching it. You know, there's only five chapters. It won't take too long. And, man, I, I, I tell you, I erred exceedingly. I played the fool in that mentality because I had forgotten how exceedingly rich First John was. And we've been here for like months and months and months. And we've still got like probably another uh, three studies, two or three studies, maybe two, two, maybe three, I don't know. Two or three studies after this one. Uh, but then, of course, next week we're hitting the pause button for Resurrection Sunday. Encourage you to invite all your friends and family uh, out just to hear the message of the gospel. Amen. So the title of the message today, sorry, I've, I, you put it up there and I didn't say it. Uh, the birthmarks of the believer. And so uh, let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father God, we thank you just for meeting with us and ministering to us. And so to that end, Lord, we pray that you continue just to have your way. Lord, that we would have ears to hear you. God, that our will would be eager to respond appropriately to you. We pray that you just affirm and encourage and edify the body today. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. And we all say... Amen. Guys, I am not sure why we're always so eager for some new insight, some fresh revelation. You know, as if we've already mastered everything written in God's Word, now we're ready for something more, you know. The reality is that more than something new, what I need is the same readily available truth that's found in the Scriptures to be rehearsed and set before me time and time again that I might be consistent and faithful in the ways and the will and the Word of God for my life. 
And of course, the Holy Spirit knows that. And so we find uh, all throughout our Bibles the same principles, perhaps cut in a little different form or fashion. And there are times that the authors would let you know, you know, that uh, they knew, that you knew, but you and me, we needed to hear it again. And so you find, like, for instance, the Apostle Peter writing in his second epistle, and he's speaking to his readers of how they might have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. Guys, listen, it was not Peter's heart. It was not Paul's heart. For that matter, it's not my heart. Not that I put myself by them, but by arguing by way of greater to lesser. You know, it's not my heart that you would have some meager, uh, measly, sort of skimpy entrance into the kingdom of God. Listen, I want it to be that on the day that you show up there before the throne, that there is flair, that there is fanfare. Man, people are hooping and they're hollering and that all the things that you've done while you were here on the earth has gained you an incredible entrance, rewards unspeakable, and all of heaven giving God glory for what he accomplished in your life. And so Peter said, for this reason, I will not be negligent, here's our word, to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. He said, yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent. Peter said, look, as long as I'm alive, uh, I'm going to stir you up by uh, reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And he says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. In other words, you know it. I know that you know it, but I'm going to write it down so that you never forget it. And so I say all that to say this, guys, we're not going to learn anything new today. Uh, John has it in his heart, it's set in his heart to remind us of some things that he's already written in this little letter, and he wants to make sure that the proverbial nail of these truths is driven deep into our sometimes forgetful hearts and minds. And so with that, let's take our attention and turn it to the very first verse of 1 John chapter 5. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Now, you may or may not recall, you can look back if you like to the last verse of the fourth chapter. And as we were exiting chapter 4, John wrote these words. He said, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now here, as we open up chapter 5, he brings a little amplification, a little clarification, almost seemingly in anticipation uh, to the question, or maybe even a little kickback uh, coming his way, like, well, then who is my brother? Uh, you know, it's almost that mentality of, you remember when Jesus was saying, you know, you're, the, 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 the lawyer was asking, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's like, well, I need some clarification. need a little amplification here. Who is my neighbor? You know, and John kind of it, almost anticipating that same type of mentality of, uh, well, you know, who loves God must love his brother also. Well, who is my brother? And so he addresses it directly. He says, anyone who is born of God is part of the family of God. They are your brother. They are your sister in Christ. Now, throughout this letter, he's mentioned this phrase, born of God, over and over again. And so I suppose we would do well to stop 
and acknowledge for just a minute exactly how critical this phrase is. Because it is an absolute prerequisite to ever seeing the kingdom of God. Listen, if you're not born of God, you don't belong to God. You're not a child of God. That means there's no inheritance awaiting you in the kingdom of God. And so perhaps you can recall, you remember the scene in your mind's eye. There they are, Jesus and Nicodemus. And they're having that conversation under the cover of night. And, you know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, you know, Rabbi, we know. I mean, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Because no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. How many of you guys know that Jesus always knows the heart behind every conversation, every quandary, every question that you have. And sometimes we kind of have an angle that we're working. We're not really wanting to address it directly, but ultimately we're kind of trying to work it that way. And this is what was happening. Nicodemus was like, you know, we know that you're a godly man and God is with you. And, and Jesus essentially just looks at him and he says to him, listen, Nick, and I'm paraphrasing. And he, he says, listen, uh, this much you need to know. I'm just going to tell you, there's no reason to beat around the bush here unless a man is born again. I, I, my, my presumption, can, forgive me for presuming upon a text, but my presumption is that Nicodemus, here he was, he was a teacher, and Jesus actually calls him the teacher. Like he was a big deal in Israel. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And so my, my assumption, my presumption is that Nicodemus was like, man, you know, I... I, 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 I serve God to the best of my ability. I study the word of God to the best of my ability. Yet something is still lacking in me. There's something that's not right. I'm not sure that I'm, you know, I'm where I need to be uh, ultimately. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, uh, listen, we know that you're a teacher. And, and my question is, is, or my thought is that ultimately he was going to get around to how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that, when, that when, where I'm going to go when I die and all that? And so Jesus just says, hey, listen, Nick. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Unless a man is, here's our phrase, born again, he will by no means enter or see the kingdom of God. Now that begs the question then, doesn't it? Well, if this is the absolute prerequisite, then the question comes, then how is it that a man is born again? What do you mean born again? Do I, do I need to enter my mother's womb again and, and, and be born? And that's exactly what Nicodemus asked him, and then Jesus said, listen, when I say born again, I'm not talking about another physical birth. You've already been born once physically, but that's not enough to gain you entrance into the kingdom of God, you see. You have to be, and again, our phrase is born again spiritually, which then leads naturally to the next question, how then? Does this transition, this transformation, this spiritual rebirth take place? And Jesus told him, didn't he? He told him right then. He told him right there. And John essentially reiterates it here. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah sent of God to take away the sins of the world is born of God. Guys, you cannot be born again by crawling on your hands and knees over broken glass for a hundred miles. 
You cannot be born again by giving a lot of money to the church or some uh, godly organization. You cannot be born again by saying enough prayers or doing enough good things. It is something that takes place through not a physical transaction, you know, being baptized, partaking of communion, whatever ritual. The Bible is clear that it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Paul told the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved, notice, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now to the Galatians, Paul put it like this. He said, for you are all sons or uh, children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Believing and receiving Him as our Savior, as our Lord. In John's Gospel, uh, he wrote, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those, notice, who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's not a physical transaction, it's a spiritual transformation and a regeneration. Now again, let me point out, it's not just believing that Jesus was a historical figure, you know, that he was a good teacher and all of that, or even that he had, you know, what I guess maybe let's just say a new age kind of mentality might be, a, the Christ spirit upon him. It wasn't, it wasn't that. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Ladies and gentlemen, John the Baptist got it right when he, seeing Jesus coming his direction through a crowd of people, pointed him out and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you've not come to that realization, but something is sort of resonating in you today, I'd urge you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now, this brings another question, doesn't it? We're just kind of like following this rabbit trail on down, and we want the question to be answered, how do you know you've truly believed? How do you know you've been born of God? And, and John, all throughout his letter, has been about what we call that blessed assurance. There's some things he, does, he just wants you to know, to not have a question concerning. I mean, do you know because you've had some great, overwhelming experience? Uh, do you know through a sudden surging of the gift of tongues taking place? That's not what the Bible says. Can those things happen? Sure, they can. I would place them in the category of the exception rather than the rule. But John tells us right here in black and white, we've discovered it and discussed it at length in previous passages of this letter. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of being born of God isn't tongues. It's not shedding tears of remorse and regret, though I would never seek to diminish that. John says clearly that the evidence of being born of God is love for the family of God. Guys, if you've been born of God, John says, first of all, you will love God. Uh, listen to me. Love for God is not natural. But love for God is supernatural. Before you believed on Jesus, you, you may not even have been sure if God even existed. 
Maybe you questioned if God was even real, or maybe you believed God existed, but you just you didn't spend any time pursuing Him, seeking after Him, desiring a relationship with Him. There was none of that. But man, when you're born again, you are suddenly almost intuitively aware of the fact that God is your heavenly Father. There is relationship involved. You understand God loves you, and you love God. It's exciting. It's exhilarating, but it doesn't stop there. If you love him who begot, right, John chapter 5 and verse 1, you will also love others whom he has given life as well. If you love the one who's given you life, you'll love others whom he has given life as well. And I trust that you understand what I've been saying here, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it plainly to ensure it. If you love God, you'll love the children of God. Not just the Christians you know, and not just the Christians who are in your church or a part of your denomination. Listen, our common ground does not lie in our ethnicity, It does not lie in our native language or whatever the case may be regarding culture, where we're at on the social ladder, or even, listen to this, even our personal political persuasion. Guys, how many of you realize, and I know this is an every hand under the roof kind of a response, how many of you realize we live in a day of polarizing political positions. And what I'm about to say might shock some of you, but not every believer carries identical political persuasions. It's not a deal breaker. Okay? Politics are not our common ground. What we share in common is the fact that we've been born again through faith in Jesus. And we share common ground under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? I would go as far as to dare to say that outside of Jesus Christ, and you know, you give me a a couple of percent on either side, but I would say outside of Jesus Christ, probably 90% of the people in this room just wouldn't have anything to do with each other. Now, not because you think ill of anyone, okay, but you just wouldn't have anything in common that would otherwise have brought you together. Jesus Christ is our common bond. And if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're going to love God and you're going to love others who've been born again of God as well. Now look at verse 2. He says, by, uh, by this, oh my goodness, we know, sorry, my eyes. Guys, I need glasses. Can I, can I humble myself before you? I've really been resisting like getting glasses. I really need them. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'll be 51 in a couple of months. I know, I know, I look so young. And then you get up close to me and then you're like, oh, now I see it, Right? But there's just something in me. I've been, I've been kicked. It's hard for me to kick against the goads. But then when I go from looking at you to bam, down in my Bible, sometimes the words go, whoop, you know, and I'm like, where, oh, I read the wrong 
thing. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Underline that. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. I want you to see the full circle rationale that John is employing here. John says, if you've been born of God, you'll love the people. You'll love the children of God. Now, this is how you know you love the children of God. So he's coming, he's coming back. He's hitting this thing on every angle. He says, this is how you know you love the children of God. You love God and you keep his commandments. Listen to me. True faith, a genuine born-again experience, will always and without exception categorically result in love for God, love for His people, and obedience to His Word. These are what we might refer to as birthmarks of every believer. Love for God. Love for God's people, obedience to God's word. Love for God will evidence itself in our love for his children, our love for brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But here's the thing. What does that love for others in the body of Christ look like? How is it demonstrated? Well, John tells us it's demonstrated through obedience to God's word. Now, John has already told us back in chapter 4 that if anyone says that he loves God but he hates his brother, he hates a fellow believer, he's a liar. It's simply a false claim. Because if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you've never seen? He just tells us very plainly. John is very clear. He speaks quite clearly to us. Now, again, he's hitting this principle from the other side. He says... Don't tell me you love others truly if you don't love God. And the way that your love for God is demonstrated to others is by doing what God tells you to do in His Word. Guys, I want you to see how incredibly practical this is. I, and we could take some significant time here. I won't. But we could take some significant time here and really develop this. But for the sake of illustration, I just want to point you to one passage. You might write it down so you can read it later. Ephesians chapter 4. And I wrote some things down out of that simple, single chapter. In that chapter alone, we are commanded. Guys, these are commands. They are imperative commands. In other words, they're not suggestions. They're not, you know, well, I think it would be good for you to. It's like this is what you are commanded to do. Are you with me? And in that chapter alone, we're commanded to lead a life of humility, of gentleness, of kindness, of patience toward one another. We are exhorted to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. We are exhorted, commanded to uh, use our spiritual gifts to encourage, to equip to edify one another in the body of Christ. We are told to put off lewdness and rudeness and uncleanness and greediness and deceitful lusts. We're told to speak truth 
We're told to be contributors in the body rather than consumers. Paul tells us that we're to put away lying, corrupt communication, bitterness, and malice. We're to forgive one another. We're to be tenderhearted toward one another. Now, Love for God shows itself in love for others. Love for others shows itself in obedience to God's word. I trust you understand where this has taken us. And that's only one chapter in your Bible. How many of you have all that mastered? You ready for new revelation? No, we need reminded of what it is that God would have us work on and mature in. Jesus said... If you love me, here it is, keep my commandments. What are we learning here, family? We're learning that love for God is not some mushy, emotional experience. Though emotions may be involved. That's fair. But love for God is a moral commitment kept through the power of His Holy Spirit. And guys, I don't mean to sound harsh, but a Christian who doesn't love God or keep His commandment is effectively useless in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that as an individual they have no value. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that they have no value as an individual. I'm saying that they're non-effective and beyond that, they're doing damage, dragging others down in their spiritual growth and development. In fact, on the basis of everything we're learning, I think we're justified asking the question, are you really even a Christian at all? To say, I'm a Christian. Hey, man, do you believe? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know. Well, that doesn't make anyone a Christian. The birthmarks of the believer are love for God, love for God's people, obedience to God's word. For this is, did you see what John said? This is the love of God. What does that mean? This is what love for God looks like. That's how you can understand that. For this is the love of God. For this is what love for God looks like that we keep his commandments. And John goes ahead, underlines it, underscores it, amplifies it. His commandments are not burdensome. That is, they're not oppressive. They're not cruel. They're not grievous, you know. I wrote this down. You can write it down if you want to write down what I wrote down. You don't have to. Here's what I said. Love lightens the load. That's what he's teaching us here. Love lightens the load. The load. And we're reminded of Jacob falling in love with Rachel, aren't we? And there he was. And man, he saw this girl. And he was like, love at first sight. He wanted to marry this girl. But he didn't have a dowry to offer her father. Now, guys, you know that a dowry was essentially alimony in advance. Is what it boiled down to. But he had nothing to offer him. And so Laban says, you know what, man? I tell you what. I like you, son. And so, you want to marry my daughter, Rachel. Well, you can on this one condition. You've got to work for me for seven years. No pay. Now, how many of you fellas 
no show of hands. <laughs> Upon seeing who is now your wife, for the very first time desiring to marry her, man, giving anything for her, you would have made that deal. I mean, her dad says, that's fine, you want to marry her, you can marry her, but you're going to work for me for seven years and I ain't paying you a dime. And in fact, every bit of profit that you earn is going to be mine. You'd be like, what? You look at her, you might say to her, look, I love you and all, but man, there's other fish in the sea. Now, not me. I'd have taken that deal and felt like I got the, the best possible bargain. Honey, love you. But you get my point. Now, Jacob, old Jacob, man, he didn't bat an eye, did he? He didn't think twice. He took the deal. And this is what we read. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Look at this. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Ladies and gentlemen, love lightens the load. When you love God, His Word isn't heavy. It's not a drudgery. It's a delight. And you find yourself echoing the words of the psalmist, I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. And so this speaks to our attitude, doesn't it, toward obedience. Guys, I think we'd all readily agree that disobedience to God's word or to God's will is tragic. It's tragic. But can I say that so also is reluctant, resentful obedience. Do you remember what Paul wrote about giving? Finances and all, about contributing to the work of God. you remember what he said? He said, when it comes to giving to God, our attitude should be this, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, meaning, well, I guess I, I, guess I have to, I guess I got to. No. He says, for God loves a cheerful, a willful, a wanting, a loving giver. Guys, that same mentality applies to our obedience to the Word of God. And I just want to throw this out there. If your mentality is, why do I have to do this? Or, man, can I just do that instead? I, guys, I just got to be honest with you. There's something wrong there. And you might want to write it down and look it up later. Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. If your attitude is, well, why do I got to do this? Or can't I just do that? You might want to consider those verses and perhaps pray through them. Now, here's something else. Religion will always be incredibly burdensome. Always trying to please God by crossing this T and dotting that I. Again, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said the Pharisees would, you know, bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But by contrast and comparison, Jesus said, 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my, what's the word? Burden is light. Guys, listen to this. The commandments of God are not coming from some crusty old man who just can't stand the idea of you having fun. They're coming from a loving, wise father who wants to see you live the most meaningful, the most fruitful, the most fulfilling, the most eternally impacting life possible. And in verse 4, he says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Underline it. And who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you see the full circle that John takes us uh, to and through? He began by telling us that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He rounds out our time by saying the one who walks in victory and overcomes the world is the one that believes that Jesus is the Christ. It's a simple, but don't miss it, powerful principle. If you are born of God, you will overcome the world. The overcomer, and this is what I'm trying to communicate, the overcomer is not some special class of super spiritual Christian. Overcoming is the common result in and reward of every child of God. If you're born of God, you will overcome the world. That is, that system, yeah, that stands against and in hostility toward Jesus Christ. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the, all that is in the world, right? Ladies and gentlemen, the thought that anything born of God, any one born of God, could be defeated by this world was strange to John, and it should be strange to us. How could this world in any way, shape, or form overcome anything, anyone born of God? This is just simply an impossibility. And this is the victory, he says, that overcomes the world, our faith. Now this makes sense, doesn't it? If you just think about it, Follow along with it. If the key to being born of God is to believe on Jesus Christ through faith, then that faith is the key to victory. And not only in that initial come to the altar and get saved way of faith, but that consistently abiding faith, that ongoing reliance and trust in Jesus Christ. So, guys, we're winding down. We're wrapping up. 
how do I overcome the pressures, the persuasions, the temptations of this world? Well, I'll tell you how you don't do it. It's not through confidence in your own strength or my own ability. It's through depending completely upon Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ. We abide in Him. We gain victory through Him. Jesus said this. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. Ladies and gentlemen, some promises are more precious than others. But this is one that we don't necessarily like to cling to. But Jesus said, it's coming. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That is, recognize your complete and utter dependence upon Him. And you will walk in victory And God will be glorified in your life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And I just pray, O God, that your fingerprints be readily seen upon our lives. And uh, love for you and love for others and obedience to your word would just be readily uh, seen and noticed and acknowledged. And God, we delight to do your will. And so be glorified in our lives. And guys, I would just say that while we're here, maybe you're you're here, your head's bowed, your eyes are closed. You've not given your life to Christ. You don't know what it means to overcome. In fact, you feel like you're constantly being overcome. Pressures and temptations always getting the best of you. Well, listen, forgiveness of sin, victory awaits you in Jesus Christ who died for you. That you might have life in Him. And so can I just encourage you? I feel like I'd be remiss without at least encouraging you today. After hearing what John has written to us. That you would believe on Jesus Christ. And be born of God. Enter the family. By faith in Him who's loved you. And given Himself for you. So Father we thank you for. Again, how incredibly easy. Lord, you've you've taken all the complexity out of it. And you've said, just believe on my son. And you will account that faith as righteousness to us. We don't understand it, but God, we are so grateful for it. And we give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we rise to our feet? Guys, again, I mean, sorry I didn't have any pretty music for you. At the end here, the ladies are gone. What can I do? Our other fellas in the children's band. Here's what I'm saying. There's opportunities to serve here, ladies and gentlemen. Spe- Steve said he'd sing. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and speaking of opportunities to serve right after church here. And, and listen, no greater time to jump in, get involved, be a part of things than Easter Sunday. Put us on our best foot forward, and that's next week. And Pastor Russ here has a clipboard. And anytime anyone has a clipboard, it's pretty official. And so uh, he wants to write your name down and set you in a slot. And, uh, and then I'm just going to tell you, once you do that, and you go, yeah, I'll help Easter. We ain't ever letting you out.
You're going to help us from that point forward? I, I jest. But may the Lord bless you guys and be with you. And may He pour His Spirit out upon you. And uh, may His Word dwell richly in you. And may you just find yourself so eager to know God's Word that you might be obedient to God's Word. Uh, that your love for His Word. And, and here's the phrase that I like to use and I encourage people with. That you would be refreshed and renewed in the wonder of His Word. God's Word is so wonderful, and He is for you, and He wants to be glorified in and through you and pour His Spirit out upon you and say, may, may His goodness and mercy follow you, and may His face shine upon you, and may He give you His peace. So, Lord, we thank you again just for your goodness, and, and we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in us. We pray, Lord, over this week that you go before it and make our path straight that you search us, that you know us, that you see if there be any wicked way in us, that you lead us in the way everlasting. And Father, we would pray that, uh, Lord, you just put people in our path to invite to church next week. Lord, what a great opportunity to say, you know, it's Easter, even heathens go to church on Easter, you should come. <laughs> and uh, so we just pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would see folks come and just hear the good news of the reality of the resurrection, and maybe even just be born again right then and there. And so we give this uh, week to you, and we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in us. In Jesus' holy name, amen? Amen. Now, there's, there's some Easter handouts back there on the Connect desk. If you want to take them, hey, man, hey, go to church. That's where I go to church. Hand them out with abandon. Put them in, I didn't tell you this, people's windshield wipers on parking lots. Completely, I don't know if that's right or not, but, uh, you know, between you and God, just don't tell me if you did it, all right? Oh, wrap up. I'm hungry. Wow. Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate that. Hungry. Look, I have food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I don't know. Blessings to you guys. All right.